now I just realise how deeply unhappy I was working for these people. And even though it's been really hard to be doing freelancing, this is all new to me, and I want to build this product and all this other stuff, and I've never worked so hard in my life, but the feeling is just infinitely different. Hey guys, my name is Eli Feiner, and this is Stop Building, where I do my best to get founders to set aside their ID and talk to some potential users. This rarely works, but I love these conversations anyway. Today I'm talking with James Morris, who is building a platform to help creators easily sell text-based courses. Let's see if he needs to keep building or do something else instead. So what do you actually do? Yeah, good question. Good question. I've always messed around with computers since I was eight years old, something like that. I remember the old, I, what did I have? I had an Amstrad CPC 454 or something like oh, wow. that. I'm 39 next week. And so I've, I really used to have the really old computers with the tapes and everything. <laughs> and yeah, and just, I, there was a book that had coding in it and stuff. And I picked that up and I spent ages getting some silly graphic to move on the screen. And I thought it was the best thing in the world. And ever since then, really, just been inside on a computer, like most days, doing kind of the same thing in one way or another. Go outside, basically... play some football, right? No, yeah, I know. I'm happy here. I, I know, right? Um, and uh, yeah, it was just like my, it was just my little world. It was my little escape. It was my little, it was just everything. And I used to show people stuff that I used to do. Like I used to make music on my computer. I used to do animations on my computer. I used to do all the... People just couldn't believe what I did with this computer. So in my, I think it just reinforced this thing of, oh, hey, like I must be pretty good at computers. I can never get printers to work, though. People will always <laughs> ask me to get printers to work. That's, I don't know anyone who gets printers to work. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, so it really, basically, I, I went to university. I, I thought I was going to try and do film studies and all this other stuff. And I ended up bailing out of university after about a year. Run out of money, to be honest with you. And uh, yeah, just picked up a book about HTML CSS and started reading all of that. And then I actually did freelancing back then as a try to be a webmaster, as they used to call it back in the day. <laughs> and I had no idea what I was doing. And I had no idea about business. And I got absolutely fleeced by loads of people. And I worked all day long, and then ended up thinking this, I'm just not making enough money. So I ended up getting a job. And I've basically gone from the very back end of coding, which is databases and servers and all this stuff, and slowly moved my way through to being more of a front end person, then going all the way further into doing UX and then going further into UI and then all this other stuff. And I'm now a, what you call a UX UI designer or a product designer or whatever you want to call it. And that's what I've been doing for the last sort of eight, eight years. Some pretty, I'm quite proud of the startups I've worked for, which have been SoundCloud, which was a music platform, Buffer, which yeah. was a social media platform and Ghost, which is like an independent publishing platform. And, yeah, yeah. and I, as I was saying before, I was really, that was a big deal for me. I wanted to work for those companies. I really like the products, but there was, a, there was definitely a sense of status with it. I really was like, oh yeah, I've made it if I get to work with these people. But the imposter syndrome was huge. I've been self-taught with everything and I always distinctly remember these moments where I'm looking around and people have been to university or they've done this or they've done that or they've been to Hyper, which is like some crazy kind of design school. And <laughs> I'm literally like just reading a book that I got off Amazon. Or, and just getting yeah, by raw talent. Just, I don't even know talent. Getting by the gift of <laughs> gap, maybe. I could say the right things at the right time. You yeah. got something, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe. 
but I just like making shit, man. That's the thing. And I just like putting things together. And so it's, I've got all of these skills of being able to code, being able to do bits of databases, being able to design things that look relatively nice and, and all this other stuff. Um, yeah. When you spend, when you spend <clears> so much time in the industry, what they call these days full stack is that much fuller. <laughs> There's a lot more in the stack. It's, it's like a uh, in yours and in mine, right? It's like it's like a skyscraper. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, my stack starts starts somewhere in the kind of debugging stuff in assembler and goes all the way through everything up to marketing and sales. And it's okay. That's quite a bit taller than what people usually think when they think, oh, I want a full you, stack you, developer. You they said can... this before, didn't you? You moved into this marketing sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I spent, I spent, I started coding when I was 11 and I started doing it semi-professionally, which means people started paying me money for it when I was 14 <laughs> or 15. And I've been going since so it's like what like 25 years of coding and three years ago i had a little app that i really was passionate about and i left my job and decided that i'm going to set aside all my coding and technical skills because i need to figure out how to market it and of course i failed miserably and as i failed miserably i realized this is actually quite complex there are some fundamental pr principles to marketing, which I didn't get. But over time and over a series of attempts and series of businesses, I'm kind of, like, oh, you know what? If you apply some engineering thinking and if you apply a little bit of first principles understanding to this whole vague world of marketing and sales, which is very full of tricks and hacks and quick mm -hmm get rich quick ideas when you focus on some fundamental principles you can actually get somewhere so that's what i've been doing and at some point i realized that i actually seem to know more about this than the other people i'm talking to even though i don't have 25 years in marketing i just have three but i have a lot of years in the space in general and yeah, so that's what I do now. I help people with their marketing and business and sales efforts. And that kind of leads me to ask you, because we started talking in DMs about what you're doing and how your freelancing is going and where you want to go with it. The simplest question with this is what's your biggest hurdle right now or your biggest challenge? Yeah, yeah. So I've, I, being a product designer or ux ui designer depending on how you look at it and doing that for lots of other companies and stuff obviously my default thing in my mind is that i would love to run one myself and see what it's like you know again going back to the arrogant bastard thing like it's a, oh i'm sure i know how to do this better than these people and then you realize that actually these people are really quite amazing that they've managed to pull off something and they've got this business that works and they're hiring people and it's actually massive props to them and but to be honest, I've always massively respected my the bosses that I've worked for because they're, deep down, this stuff is hard. And uh, yeah. like I say, it's like you, I can design something that looks nice and I can code something that looks nice. But definitely hitting a similar problem to what you were saying about where marketing is just a whole another world. And maybe back 10 years ago, maybe you could have built something and shared it and maybe you could have made a bit of a splash easier 
back then where not quite so much you build it and they will come. It, it was slightly different 10 years ago to what it is like now where everyone and their dog with no code tools and AI now are going crazy. It's all well and good designing something that looks nice and works okay and it doesn't have too many bugs, but does anyone actually care <laughs> for a start? How, and not even that, like how do you get it in front of enough people to start gaining traction? And I think as you've seen me on Twitter, I'm trying to talk about various things. I'm trying to do, but like everything in my life, I, I am not massively laser focused. I, I end up being all over the place with things. So even now, as my as I stand, like I'm trying to build this MVP thing. I've got a friend of mine who's helping me out as well, part time, but he works full time, so he, can, he can't dedicate too much time to it. But I'm trying to build this product, I'm trying to launch or trying to build up a blog and I'm trying to do freelancing because if I don't do the freelancing, I can, this is all over, this whole thing, this whole experiment is over and I'm back to work anyway. It's all of those things at the same time and depending on what week it is, something gets a bit more attention than the other. And yeah. in an ideal world, I would love to just focus on one. So yeah, it's, it's, it's the freelancing thing to me is... I wouldn't say a means to an end because I do actually really enjoy working with people and being useful to people and providing a service that that is something that is actually just a satisfying thing to do on a day's work sort of thing and I actually do enjoy doing that but that is purely really to make money to sustain myself and my wife and so we don't become poor and homeless and I have to sell my computer and so freelancing, yeah, good. Always interested to find new clients and whatever, but ex that's fine. That's over there. So uh, listen, I just want to ask you a question about this because yeah. those things are related. When you're looking for clients for your freelancing, is that, do they find you? Do you find them? Do you feel comfortable kind of selling your services? How does that oh. flow for you? And it's just the reason I'm asking is this, mm. uh, in our indie hacker circles, we usually mm. talk about marketing. We usually talk about techniques that get us clients and customers and users at scale, mm. but everything always starts non-scalable. It sta starts individually. It's, it was a very unpleasant realization for me to realize that for a very for the early stages of any business especially solo businesses there's no marketing there's only sales you mm. only ever have individual interactions with people whether it's mm. online or in person or whatever and you only ever convince one person at a time to try your mvp to buy your 15 dollar a month saas or to hire you as a consultant. And that's why these things have similarities between them. And mm. the other thing that I notice is that online marketing and SEO, paid ads, becoming a social influencer, all these things, they are new and they're really context dependent. They work in a certain way for a certain period of time online in for a few years and then everything changes. But individual one-on-one -on -one sales, looking someone in the eye and saying, this is what I have. Will you give me money for it? This is 10,000 years old. It's been going on for forever. I imagine a blacksmith in a village somewhere in the, in, like, in the Bronze Era. It's still the same deal, right? If you have two yeah. blacksmiths, now they need to compete, but the competition is not marketing. It's like yeah. who you know and how you convince them. 
And the problem with that is that sales has this this awful image around it. It's basically convincing people to buy things they don't need with money they don't have for reasons they so, don't understand. Okay, so yeah, I get I get what you're saying with all of this. So the biggest thing So yeah, it, it is all related, you're right. I I'm trying to get better at Twitter. <laughs> I like Twitter. Like, I'm always on Twitter. I like it. Like, you, you have to get past some of the Fred boys and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, there's some very nice people and they're all trying to do their hustle and they are, we've all got things to learn from each other. And I'll be honest with you, Twitter has been how I got my jobs. It's been how I've got my first client. It was how I, I sold a little course a little while ago. Not for lots of money, but I did. And that's we can talk about that later, but that's led me to my product thing I was building. It's just been a great platform, really. And I know, I I don't know how people feel about Elon Musk. I don't even know how I feel about Elon Musk. But at the end of the day... It's a bit confusing know, these days. It, it's, <laughs> for yeah. sure. I kind of, he's, one, he's somebody I kind of respect and, and also hate and dislike at the exact same, the time. same time. It's yeah. really bizarre. It's, I literally have no real feeling about it. It's like, it's completely balanced out. There's a lot of people I like and there's a lot of people I'd rather not have in my life. I cannot figure him out. But yeah, it, at the end of the day, is Twitter still useful? Do I enjoy being in there? Yes. And it's the platform I've decided to focus on. And But I'm not a salesperson. I am a, I'm in a, a classic kind of English sort of guy, like fumbling over my words and blah, blah, blah. And so being confident in that sense of tweeting out what you feel, what you say, what you do, getting used to talking about yourself in that kind of manner, that's a very un-English thing to do. <laughs> and you Amer Americans are fine with this. But American. I was going to, do you know what I was going to say? I, I was thinking, I was talking, I was like, I'm it. I have a bunch of different things, but I'm definitely not an American. First of all, I live in Canada now which is like a, oh, a that's it. I've, I've offended twice yeah yeah a toned down version of the united states no, but i was born in russia when ah, it was still the soviet union and yeah. then i lived in israel for 25 years which is where i grew up and had my formative years and then we moved here about seven years ago but i and despite the fact that israelis in the world have this have this image of being very in your face, never shy, do whatever the hell they want. There is that. Mm -hmm. But on the scale of Israelis, I am a fairly shy guy. So I can definitely resonate with what you're saying. And when I started mm -hmm. out on Twitter, posting things of my own was difficult. Mm -hmm. And what yeah. makes it even more difficult is the kind of shouting into the void syndrome. You post yes. something that you think is really good and then no one, <laughs> yes. nothing happens. But yes. I think something happened on Twitter within the last, I think, couple of months since they released the algorithm. Something's really changed. It stopped being an effective broadcasting platform. Like mm -hmm. If you have a lot of followers, you post a tweet, very few people see it. Mm -hmm. And it's a very effective networking platform so again this idea of one-on-one -on -one communication resonates a lot because what i've seen on twitter recently and even before that is that the best of twitter is in the replies 
and in the DMs, not in the kind of top line tweets. And I just almost completely switched to just having conversations with people. I rarely post anything top line to, mm. to the timeline in general mm. because it doesn't, it creates some conversation. Like I don't care about likes anymore. I don't even mm. care about followers anymore because it's just not like I have about 2000 followers, which is not a lot. Mm -hmm. But when I post mm. something and I haven't been engaging with people, I maybe get a couple of likes. But if I have mm. been talking to people, then the people I have been talking to see my tweet and like it, typically regardless of what I say in it. So it's like, mm. it's completely unrelated. It's not, oh, if you post a really awesome tweet, it will get traction and then you will get your 15 mm. minutes of glory. That doesn't happen anymore. But if you mm. just talk to a bunch of people, then regardless of whether you become famous on Twitter or not, those connections are amazing. I think I, wonder, I replied I to a tweet of yours been. at some point, and that's how we connected, right? That's, that's yeah, how yeah no, I do you know what? Funny, it's funny you say that actually, because that's how this freelancing thing ended up happening. Was this client, this first client that I got was it was just the most bizarre serendipity kind of moment, and then it ended up becoming this amazing sort of relationship I've got with this company now, and I'm like really chuffed about that, and I'll be honest. It wasn't necessarily something that, yeah, it wasn't, it was through like talking and through, yeah, I know what you mean. And I wonder if, I've definitely noticed as I'm posting stuff, like compared to now than it was like, say, yeah, six months ago, you don't see as much engagement on there. And, but my enjoyment of the platform has definitely been higher because I've been enjoying the conversation. So maybe all of this has been completely intentional from the Twitter side, I don't know. Or maybe it's just some weird offshot of... No, I definitely think so. I even saw there was a new version of the algorithm released, I think a few days ago, maybe a week ago. I saw someone pointing out how much more weight they're giving to replies these days. They mm. just... No, they, I think they're doing it on purpose. So let's go back to the, to the MVP that you were building. What is it about? What? Yeah, what's the isn't that a good question? Here's your yeah, chance so, to give a pitch. Yeah. So yeah, no. So it's. I don't know if I can give you the straight up pitch. I'll give you the story first. That basically, I about eighteen months ago, I think, or maybe it was even two years ago. Like time flies. I joined this cohort course with Sahil, who runs Gumroad, and it was the minimalist entrepreneur. He did this cohort course, and he on Twitter he was like, "Hey, does anyone want to do this course?" With me, I'm like, and I was like, yeah. And I managed to get on this first cohort. So I was actually with the kind of boss of Gumroad doing this cohort course. For, I think it was for four weeks with a, with a few other people. And we were all doing this thing based around this notion of minimalist entrepreneur. And, and it was really cool. People were doing all sorts of different stuff on that course. And it was live, just wanna, it was live sessions. <clears throat> I just want to interject that I did the second course. Um, oh, did you? All of the same thing. Yeah, you did the winter, I think. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, look at that. And I did there the you summer. Go. Yeah, yeah. And it was really profound for me as well. So it was great. It was. I'm literally rereading re the book again, actually. And yeah, no, it was great. And it was a lot of stuff I got learned from there. But and one of, uh, I don't know how yours was structured, but one of the kind of things was like, what could you effectively make as a something and, and try and come up with a pre pre order for the for it. 
what could you put together and try and see if you could sell before you even make it right and there's all these questions about who is your community and what what, what could you do for people to help them out and and for whatever reason, the first thing that came to my mind was like, because I've been a developer before, an, an engineer, and now I'm a designer, there's always this sense of des- design is this mystical thing. And I wanted to try and explain that it wasn't actually that crazy that you can actually part- apply kind of logic to it. Like you say, first principles and all this other stuff. And uh, that was the idea of this course. There was this was the course. So I just laid out, I laid out like an outline that I thought sounded cool. And, uh, and then I went back to it's, I think it's a design for developers kind of thing yeah yeah it was like a way of again this is my misty not really knowing what i'm doing kind of got some there's an idea somewhere there but it's all fuzzy but yeah that's the point book, in my mind there, it was like there, many years ago there was a book this is at least 15 years ago there's a, a book called the non-designers design book yeah, I think which, I remember that actually. Which <laughs> is the only design book I've ever read. And mm-hmm. it's my only education in the space of design is that little <laughs> book. But it was enough. Yeah. Spacing, making sure things align, yeah. making sure that when things are different, they're really different and not just slightly different. That looks like a mistake. Like when something is big, it needs to be big. When something is small, it needs to be small. And I really appreciated that because I really didn't need a lot to be able to align things on a page or to make a website that looks This is it, right? This is it. And it's, so this one, my first idea was I was going to mix a little bit of UI and UX into it. And then I was thinking I was going to do a UI one. Then I was going to think I was going to do a UX one. And the thing that keeps coming back to me was the UX side of design is even more slightly mysterious because you were just making examples there of UI principles. And the UX stuff is just even more, I don't know. Yeah, it's got to be easy to use. Yeah, of course it's got to be easy What does that mean even, yeah? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of various things. And and I in my head, I boiled down these kind of 20 things. I was like, look, if you can have this in any app in the world, doesn't matter if it's mobile, doesn't mean it's web, whatever, have these principles and you're already halfway there to creating something that's at least usable and good and solid that was the idea anyway but i managed to get some pre-sales and then i took a week off work and just spent like seven days just like making this course and the thing is (laughs) i was looking around for platforms on what to to, how to present the information and i looked at podio and i looked at teachable and i looked at all these different things and podio was the kind of closest thing i was thinking that was good because it wasn't overly complicated i didn't want to do some crazy cohort course I didn't want to do I didn't even really want any community around it I didn't want any of this crazy stuff so I was just quite surprised how hard it was to just be able to put effectively a series of articles together with some imagery and package that up as a sort of a digital interactive thing that uses the web as a medium and selling entry selling access to it in a way that looked nice that looked was easy to do where I had relative control over the layout, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know, again, this goes back to the arrogant bastard thing. I don't know if it's because I'm an arrogant bastard or whatever. I ended up building my own static course layout and everything and website and everything because I was just like getting so pissed off with the tools that were out there. It's right? the combination of being an arrogant bastard and having the skills to do it, to follow through. Yeah. You have a natural tendency and then you have the skills to follow through. Of course, you're going to build your own thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's, well, it's, it was ridiculous, right? Because I set myself this seven days, but I spent half of that just building the website <laughs> and I focused less and less on the content but anyway i i 
I, I put it out on Twitter and everything. And I made a couple of grand out of it in three days. And I, I sold it through Gumroad as like the payment thing. And then it was a link through into my thing. And then, and I just couldn't believe that feeling of, I'd, I literally, I was waking up and I'd made like an extra 600, $600. I think I charged it in dollars. I can't remember. I was like, oh my God, I literally made money whilst I slept. And it's this yeah, whole money, thing you know, about. when something like this happens, oh, wait a second, I was told that money did not grow on trees, but here it is growing on trees. There's nothing, <laughs> yeah. there's no correlation between your effort and the money you're making, right? You're working really it's, hard and you're making nothing and then you're not working at all and you're making a lot of money. It's, it's crazy, right? And but just a combination of that feeling the combination of I'm not some super duper designer dude person. Like I'm just somebody who has, I felt like I had something to say. Looking back on it, I would have done the course content in a completely different way. It was all a bit fuddled. It was didn't have a clear thing, whatever. But I always had this thing in the back of my mind. I was like, well, and funnily enough, actually, just to say, funnily enough, the best feedback I got from the course wasn't, oh yeah, great content. It was actually, oh, what did you use to build the course in, right? funny you say that right because they're like oh it looks really clean and nice and funny you say that so anyway in the back of my mind that was just in the back of my mind and anyway back in november last year my mate my really good friend who i met at buffer dave he reached out to me he's like i really want to build a product if you could build any product what would you build and i was like funny you say that i just can't get this course creation thing out of my mind and I don't want it to be like Podia. I don't want it to be like Teachable. I don't want it to be like the others. I think there's something in the middle. It's a little more than an article that you would share. And it's a little less than some elaborate community member-driven course. It's like it, there, there's something there. And I think if we could add interactive elements to it and various other bits and really focus on it being a sh sort of a smaller course creation tool, I think something's really cool there. It's a little more than an article. It's a little less than a book. It's something in the middle. And that's how this thing started. And so this thing that we're building is called Convey. And it's web first. There's no sort of notion of PDFs or downloads or anything like that. And yeah, the last sort of couple of months, we've been just experimenting with what we think this thing is. Just a, I just want to interject here an observation. So the course that you built, which is the design for developers or whatever, whatever it is you want to call it, that thing had product market fit. Yeah. It was accidental, right? Because yep. it arose out of your understanding of, I actually, I'm, I have one, one foot in one, in one area. Like I'm a designer and I'm a developer. I can bridge the gap. Mm -hmm. But it had product market fit. And we know this because it sold well. And I've had... at least six experiences where I built something, it had product market fit, right? We offered something and it had product market fit and people were like, yeah, this is cool and I'll pay you money for it. And then for one reason or another, I kept looking for something more fundamental or more mm -hmm. generic or more scalable or more whatever. And mm -hmm. in my own personal search for that, fundamental scalable generic kind of thing which mm. i thought if this has product market fit the more generic fundamental bigger wider broader more applicable thing will definitely have even more product market fit but yeah. what i realized painfully <laughs> over and over again that's not necessarily true 
It's often the case where a very specific narrow thing that you randomly landed on that has product market fit works, but even minor changes in pricing and how you talk about it and what it is and like how generic it is, how broad it is, suddenly, uh, no, no one's interested. It's a completely different mm. thing. So I'm just, the reason I wanted to, to say this is I'm noticing, and I think it's something that engineers just typically do. We're just looking yeah. for the most generic, the most flexible, the most conceptually yeah. beautiful solution we can. And we keep looking for it even after we land on something that is actually successful from a business point of view. So because yeah. we're used to thinking as engineers, we're used to thinking in terms of solutions to problems, right? And we used to think we used to think that generic is better than specific and abstract yeah. is better than concrete and reusable is better than one time and all these things that are so ingrained in how software engineers think and work and we've been talking about this and doing this for years and then you do something really specific really narrow really niche it succeeds and naturally as an engineer let's expand and then you expand and, yeah. and you end up and, you, and suddenly you're like, wait a second, so who's the audience for this? And then you start to rack your brain and it doesn't work quite the same because it's a completely, yeah. you end up in a completely different type of business. So yeah, go on. No, so really good point. So it, it's funny. So before about, it must've been about four years ago, me and my friend Dave, we, when we work, worked at Buffer, we also came up with another product idea, which was called Method. And that actually got to the, I think it got to like number three on product hunt, I think. And it was a way of combining a calendar and your to-do list where you could actually block specific time off. Cause we were convinced that just having a to-do list wasn't enough. You had to actually assign some time to it. Now that's, that's actually quite a common thing these days in apps, right? Yeah. But back then it actually wasn't. And when we showed it to people and we launched it on product hunt and stuff, and it took me months to like get this coded, this thing. So I was doing it outside a full-time job as well. We actually got some really good interest in it, and people were asking how much it was, and like, yeah, we even got an investor <laughs> sniffing around it and stuff. Yeah, and shut up and take do? my money. <laughs> yeah, no, and then and then me and Dave were like, we've got to market this thing. We've got to market it. We've got to get it. Look at the interest. And we were like, are you interested in productivity? And I was like, no, not really. I was, I've got no idea what to talk about. I don't know. What do you do? Yeah, you put t tasks in, and I don't know. We completely told ourselves this bizarre story that we had no idea what to do or talk about, whatever. And I think because market, because marketing is necessarily content, and you have to write articles about this thing that you're building, which is actually the opposite. Because if you have a tool that people want to use, then you don't need. <laughs> you need to figure out a way for people to recommend the tool to each other, and maybe make some virality loops within it. But you don't need to figure out how to do content marketing because maybe that's not the right way for this thing The thing to is, go. though, it goes back to what you were saying about we just basically stumbled onto this bizarre, weird, little niche, little thing where you can do... I mean, it was pretty sophisticated. You, I coded all of this stuff. Like you could add your Google and your Google Calendar and then it would pull it all in and then you could add all the to-do. And, and that's quite a common thing in productivity apps now. But back then it really wasn't. And then we'd started seeing success with it. And I think, weirdly, we'd just told ourselves this story or what we thought it was because we were quite comfortable in our jobs we were having a bit of fun putting a product together and then suddenly i think we maybe got scared or i don't, I don't know oh, what yeah, it was 
even to this day, we look back, we're like, oh, we had this super niche thing. How do we now make it bigger? And it was not like we actually made much money off of it. We just had a lot of initial interest. And and I think it's what you're I think it's what you were saying. Like we were like, oh now so okay, now we got this. What's the next stage? What do What's we do? The What's the stage, next yeah. version? Like, how do we do and it just lost all of this motivate it just lost all of its like power somehow in in us and we were like well i don't know do you have to write articles about productivity i don't know should we just go back to our full-time yeah let's just go back to our full-time jobs like, <laughs> it, it was bizarre and then and, and yeah and then this course little course thing happened and i saw some initial interest from that and then i didn't know what to do with it again yeah yeah, so this, this... when you ask yourself, what should I do with it? Again, as an engineer, I should build some sort of thing, <laughs> right? That's the well, answer. If there's a question, my, my there's an thought... answer in code. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, my thought there was I would like to go back and redo that course myself, like actually spend some proper time doing it because uh, I think it's a very interesting topic to talk about in general. Be it if I did it on Podio, or be it if I did it on anything else. I think generally it's a course that I feel I should make because I feel like I could. I have a lot to say about it. I think it's a really interesting thing. I think it would help a lot of people, be it no coders or indie hackers or engineers or anything else. It's just, just there's something about demystifying UX and just going, look, these are just, you can make usable apps. You can, I can't solve all your problems, but this at least put these in because these are good. I want to do that. And so it got to a place where I was like, I really want to make this product that helps me make those courses. So why don't I make the product that helps make the courses and then I can do the courses on top. <laughs> but again, it's now I'm talking about this stuff. It's all very much like the engineering mindset. I've, I've refactored myself into a, exactly. I don't know what I've done, but, but, but I feel really excited about the convey thing because the only thing that I'm struggling with is finding that niche and you found you that's really cool because you found on two separate occasions you randomly mm. stumbled on niches for things you did that worked and now you have a different situation where you basically have a solution looking for a problem or a product looking for a, a little bit a uh, little bit it's, yeah it's because you have a sense that there's or you needed a course platform which was like you said more than an article but less than a full-blown course thing mm -hmm. which kind of reminds me of the original gumroad idea which mm -hmm. was i want to put a link online and charge money from people to be able to access that so it's it's a minified version of something that exists and there's value to finding like an overserved type of customer so people mm -hmm. who would like to make a course, they'd look at Padia and they're like, oh, this is a lot of work and a lot more intense than I had in mind. But obviously the question is where you find people like that. Yeah. And that feeling that you just articulated there is that feeling. And I think me and my sort of co-founder, my friend Dave, I was talking about this the other day. It, I believe now, like the reason why I didn't do the podium thing and the teachable thing and all that is for that very reason of it felt so heavy. It felt so fucking heavy. And I was like, I don't want to enter into this insane thing. Like I have all this responsibility. I want to share what I 
one, I don't want it to be an art because it's not a newsletter. That's not what I'm sharing. I'm not sharing a newsletter. That's a very different thing in my mind. I used to work for Ghost. Like I, I've got a, a blog on. It's a different mindset completely to what I'm thinking over here, which is it's a course that I want to wrap up in a bow and it's an entity. It's a thing. It's a web first thing that I can sell and you can have access to and you can enjoy and and it's a different thing and I'll, but I want it to be light and I want it to be easy and I want it to be quick and I want it to be easy to update I want it to be easy to I want I want to take out any design decision so it just looks great it just looks great you don't have to worry about any of that just worry about the content that's all you have to worry about and so that's the kind of thing it's almost like the part-time creator or something or it's for people who the courses aren't their sole bread and butter, but they want to put something out. So here's people. the thing. the Your incentive to build the course arose mm. from you being on the Minimalist Entrepreneur course with Sahil. Yeah. For which you paid quite a bit of money. If I remember correctly, that was not a cheap course. I think I got quite lucky with my, the first one. I think the second one was a bit more expensive. But yeah, yeah. I think it was about... Seven, mine was about a thousand dollars i think yeah it's still it's it's not a hundred bucks it's like it requires a certain no, commitment no, no. i'm just describing the experience to see where we can find mm -hmm. more people like that this is a situation mm -hmm. where you've already committed time and money into a course that gently nudged you to think about creating a course of your own yeah right so you were not you were not randomly thinking or just having this idea of a course. You were within a structure, a fairly committed structure, that now that you have an idea of a course, you're actually accountable to, to do something with it. Yeah. It was more than an idea. And as an example of how committed you were, you took a week off from work to do that. Yes. That's like, a, like, this is not an evening a week for a couple of hours type of thing. You actually dove in. Seriously. It was like 16 hour days as well. <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was a serious commitment. So here we have this potential client of yours or potential customers or customer of yours who is at the same time deeply committed to creating a course while at the same time feeling off-put by the complexity of Teachable and Podium. Now, you also said that about half of that week was for you to build the platform for the course <laughs> yeah. and, and not the course itself. So yeah. the particular kind of person, if we're like, where are more Jameses like that? Like yeah. more Jameses like that are as likely to build a platform of their own as they are to <laughs> yeah. use something that is simpler than Podia. And that's the problem of, that's a common problem with scratching our own itch. Yeah. I know because yeah. we scratch our own itch, A, because we have something itchy, but B, mm -hmm. because we really like to scratch itches. And when we are, and when we're trying to figure out where can we find more people like us, because we thought this need needs to exist, right? And when we're thinking about where can I find more people like me, the answer is off. Well, people like me prefer to build things themselves. And there is a mm -hmm. cool story about this because the app that got me into this cycle of entrepreneurship 
was the stress relief app I wrote for myself. Mm-hmm. I found this technique and I really enjoyed it. And I'm like, this needs to be an app. I built an app and it really helped me regulate my emotions. And it really helped me. It was like faster and more effective than meditation. And I was really excited about it. And at one point I posted on Hacker News, I wrote an app that cured my depression. And there were lots of comments that there's, it was on the front page for a while, but there was one comment that really stuck with me. Someone says, oh, so I get it. So in order to heal from depression, you need to write your own app that heals you from depression. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, no, this is not true. This is like an awesome technique and an awesome idea. How can you see this? I didn't write that comment, but that was my internal reaction. Like, how can yeah. you, this is so unpleasant to hear. But three years later, I'm like, yeah, that's, <laughs> I'm the kind of person who is much more likely to build an app to cure my own depression than to use someone else's proven app to cure my depression. That's just no, no, that's just I what an engineer, what being an engineer is, right? The not invented here principle. So sometimes the customers we're looking for are just like us. And I think in your case, that's not where you'll find them. No, because the people who are just like you are just as likely to build a static website from scratch and spend 60 to 60% of their time on building the platform yeah. and then 40% on building the content because building things is just so exciting and invigorating. I don't know if, so we, for the last couple of months, it started off as a very simple idea of just making it let's at least start with the idea of it being very easy and very fast to get your content in, play with it, edit, do all this stuff. So we spent quite a lot of time on the editor and stuff, and then you can publish and update it very quickly. And that was very inspired by the ghost kind of feeling of it's very quick and easy to get your article there, publish it and whatever, like Substack as well. Right. And taking all of that kind of newslettery feeling, and applying it to a course. And that was in my head was like, that's a nice thing. All the tools I'm using are not really, and I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm now entering into this stage of trying, I've got this product and I'm trying to find a solution, trying to find the problem for it. But also I can't get it out of my head. And it's, it's, okay, there's something here. I can, I can smell it. Oh, there it is. It's just need. It's just needs. We say a solution looking for a problem, and it's a bit of a derogatory term. It like means you went off and built something, but I think that a better way to frame it is a is a solution seeking problem. We're not hoping for a problem to find us. No, there is an actual process we can follow to to find the right problem, to find the right niche. It's mm. not. It's like there. There are a few steps to go through. It's not like you sit with your product and you keep adding features and you hope that the problem will find you. That's probably not going to work. But you can take your you can take your solution and you can break it apart into what it does, which is basically the features. Then you can look at every one of these features and look at what kind of benefit does this feature provide so you have this you have the quick ability to edit you have the stellar beautiful design that you don't need to tinker with you also have the limitation that the design is probably not 
not flexible. You're not designing it yourself. The benefit is that you don't need to design. The limitation is likely that you don't have a lot of control over the design. So that fits yep. a certain type of people. So you take those features, you figure out the benefits and limitations of every feature. None of that is good or bad in its own right, just to have a, a sense. And then you look at these and that's where kind of the magic happens. How do you combine these benefits and what kind of person would this fit? Like yeah. what kind of person would for example, appreciate the ease of use of Ghost or Substack, right? And the mindset of publishing a newsletter, but would also mm -hmm. like to publish a course possibly mm -hmm. based on the content they already published in their newsletter. Yes. Which kind of works in the same way and feels the same way and feels familiar and feels comfortable yeah. and is nicely designed. And then they can offer that course to their newsletter audience. And then when you think about it this way, it's interesting. Maybe the message here is not build a course. Maybe a message here is turn your newsletter into a course. Very good point. It's a very good point. One of the, one of the things, part of the reason why, another reason why I didn't like the tools that were out there, and it's not true for all of them, is that a lot of them are very much video based, right? So the video on your, your thing. And I've done courses like that. And some of them are very effective and some of them are not. Now, there are certain things that you can learn through video based courses that are just perfect for that. I would never change it. But there's other things where actually text based, structured textual learning, where you've actually got images to go through and, and various bits at various stages, you've actually got sections and reference points and all this other stuff. There's other course content that actually that makes much more sense. And again, a big part of what I'm building has got actually nothing to do with video whatsoever. It's all based around text and imagery. And even actually, again, this is not MVP stuff, but in my mind in the future is like, we're not basing this around email. So it doesn't need to work in an e email inbox. It feels like you're putting together a newsletter, but we're not constrained by that so what if not only being able to include imagery but what if it was like interactive elements that you could put in there if somebody's doing a course around code like actually there's some really interesting things we can do with that we're not constrained by having it landing in an inbox somewhere etc etc so using the web as a basis like it's got nothing to do with pdf downloads or stuff like this is like using the web it's re easily readable mobile all, the, all this stuff so anyway yeah Going back to what you're saying, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying because it was all very much inspired by that idea of newsletter type things. It's more than that, but it's not YouTube. Go on YouTube if you want to go and look at videos. It's not that either. There's a whole, I know that there's a whole group of people who enjoy learning in that fashion, in that text-based, web-based fashion. And there is a whole group of people who enjoy presenting their knowledge in text. Yes. Right? There's like... I'm a fumbling Englishman. I've bought a nice camera. I sat in front of the camera. I tried to talk like... <laughs> I, I can't do it in front of a camera. But if I sit down and I've got a, a blank Word document in front of me, I can construct my thoughts and I can take some time and it can sound half coherent, right? Yeah. I enjoy... It's harder, but I enjoy doing that than just sitting there in front of a camera and stuff. Again, that... It takes the, this convey product down to another niche because it's, we don't, it, you might be able to upload bits of video maybe, but 
it's not based around it, it's like not a video so course, yeah. many more yeah. it's and so. so when you're talking about this you're talking about the experience of learning right yes. you the product market fit you're looking for is primarily for people who want to teach that way right yes. people who want to learn that way that's like a one step removed but your clients your customers are going to be people who want to teach that way and i think mm -hmm. the point i want to make here is that people who want to teach that way are people who are already teaching that way those are people with blogs those are people yeah. with new newsletters those are possibly people on twitter that post yeah who tweet, educational right? who tweet. Who tweet, yeah who tweet, <laughs> yeah. but who, whose intention is to teach not everybody's intention yeah. is to teach but there are people whose intention is to teach to put out content that teaches people but thing is everybody in this space struggles with monetization like people yes. write news so here's the basic idea people write a newsletter and even if it's popular, how do you monetize it? Well, you put links, right? You put affiliate links. That's the way to monetize it. But some people may feel uncomfortable about it. Some people may not be able, and this is these are conversations you need to have, but some people may not be able to make enough from it. And there is a bit of a <clears throat> there is a bit of an icky feeling to that. It's like you're selling your audience, basically, if you're doing that. But you're not offering a product for a good price that people will buy and they say thank you. You're shoving things down their throats, even if it's really relevant and even if it's products that you really enjoy yourself, it's still advertisement and not everybody enjoys that kind of thing. So when I'm looking at this, I'm like, you're thinking about features and the, thing you, the things you could build and the things you will build and all of that. It could be more than video. Sorry, it could be more than email. It could yeah, have interactive yeah, yeah, elements. Yeah, yeah. You have all these features and ideas. <laughs> and, and my re reaction to this, listen, dude, you need to talk to 20 people who are publishing newsletters and find five of them who want to build a course. That's like job one. No, so we spoke to, we've spoke to people, right? And so I don't know if you've been, of course, I'm not expecting anyone to be following my tweets at all, but it was just, it was, we, I went, we went, we, this is exactly what happened. Like I had this idea, then we started building this thing. And then it was like, oh, what if it was this? And what if it was that? And we, at one point it was like this LinkedIn bio thing, which had all this, it, it was crazy. Right. And then literally about, literally about two or three weeks ago, me and Dave were just like, what the hell are we doing? He actually said to me, what are we doing here? I was like, I don't know. We just cut out loads of stuff. Like we just stripped it right back to the whole original point of this is a text-based, easy to publish, super fast, super nice, text-based, blah, blah, blah. But part of this process, and over, over the course of the last couple of months, we have been talking to people. But we at first we thought it was going to be for marketing teams, maybe marketing teams, because they'd like guides, right? They put out guides. So maybe it's for marketing teams who are doing guides and they put out these PDFs. It's like, yeah, but this is better than a PDF because it's you can PDFs are shit to know. They don't read PDFs on mobile. It's horrible. Like, put out something that's nice. No, nothing, right? It just didn't make any sense to those people. And then we talked to freelance writers. Why did we speak to... We spoke to freelance writers because we thought, oh, they write, right? So they write. So maybe they want to put something nice together for their clients or something. And that's what we thought about that. Maybe it's going to be some sort of document maker thing or... And then I spent ages on Instagram collecting all, all of these things together where people were putting free guides out. So they were just individual people, agency people, SEO writers, whatever. 
and they were putting out these small guides and i was like well maybe they're good people because hmm. but none of these people were it was just wasn't resonating nobody really cared nobody like they would I just use pds for that like why do i care it's like, oh, i don't know so that's why we went back to this thing why was i scratching my itch why was it so itchy for me and now you're saying this about newsletters <laughs> That makes so much sense. <laughs> and in a way, it's what it kind of always was meant to be about because I was at the time working for like a newsletter making company. <laughs> like, which which informed your way of thinking and kind of yeah, yeah, approach to this. Yeah. It's, it's like a newsletter. It's like newsletter content, but it's a little more, it's a little more structured. Yeah. It's a little more... Like there's, in a course, there's pacing, there's exercises. There's, there's a beginning, middle and end to it. Exactly, I think that's the, exactly. like a, blog, a newsletter blog. And I love newsletter blogs, don't get me wrong. And I'm built, I'm writing, doing one myself and you're doing one is, but there are, there is no beginning, middle and end. The articles have beginning, middle and ends, but there isn't a sense of this. And there is something really cool about that dedicated destination is, look, this is a topic. Come here for this topic enjoy the content at your leisure here it is there's just something so nice about that and it's a fair trade it's like here's how much i'm offering for it and you get to have it it's okay this is a thing yeah yeah i just i like that i like it i like that thing is i haven't been able to get it out of my head but i yeah the other thing that i think you could explore do you know who kevan is kevan chung he has i don't know Okay, he's fairly popular in the kind of indie hacker space. He has a course he just released that is called the Email Course Engine, I think. And his, actually, I just bought a copy a week ago. What he teaches is how to build an email-based course that you would give out to your audience and it would be a free course. It's, he's, this is the best lead magnet you may have. And he has a course that teaches you how to build an email course, a short one, like a seven-day email sequence with actions and tasks and a bunch of things and a bit of virality built in. And he's promoting this approach where if you have a good email course then that people share with their friends, then you can create an engine of growth for your audience. Yeah, I'll post a link to his course in the description yes, yeah, for yeah. you and for anybody else. But I think at least he's a really nice guy too. I think a conversation with him would be useful because these are parallel efforts. What you're doing and what he's doing, mm -hmm. those are parallel efforts. I don't, I haven't gotten too far into the course. I don't know what kind of tech he's using for that. But it's mm -hmm. possible that he noticed some of the same things that you noticed. The interesting okay. thing is that his, the, the way he's, what he's teaching to do is how to create a text-based course. Interesting. Right? It's not a video yeah, course. Okay, it's a yeah. text-based course that it gets delivered to your email every day. But maybe there is some crossover between the email delivery and having, like you said, a web-first space for the course. There may be, I don't know. Right. There's, yeah, yeah. but there's I, something I there. There's some crossover there. I think it, it might be interesting to explore. But again, just from here, you talk, from hearing you talk about this, the idea of turning your newsletter into a course or offer mm. a course to your readers or something along these lines feels like a very nice fit. And if you have yeah. 
if it's like there's a rule of thumb that I use. If you talk to 10 people of the same kind, you tell you talk to 10 people with newsletters and say the newsletters that have like over 50 issues, like they've been doing this for a while. You talk to 10 people and you ask them about their monetization challenges. You ask them about info products. You ask them about them. You don't talk about what you're building. You ask them about their experience with mm-hmm. newsletters mm-hmm. and you use your experience working for Ghost, knowing so much about how newsletters work and what kind of features exist, mm-hmm. like the whole thing you talk with about this, you will find a problem that needs solving. It might not be exactly the problem that you want to solve. It might be adjacent, but you will. The weirdest thing about all of this, I've read some tweets about this the other day. I can't remember who posted it. It's like, I'm a product designer, right? And like for the last eight years, I've worked with product designers. I've had, especially in SoundCloud, we used to have dedicated UX researchers who actually set up entire studios where we had user testers coming in and all this sort of stuff. We had access to people like all this stuff. Ever since most of my career over the last 10 years, the idea of user testing, asking questions, doing interviews, <laughs> standard stuff, right? Let's be honest, right? When it comes to building your own product, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> all of this flies all of this flies out of the window. And it is completely bizarre. And That's I don't know. Bastard syndrome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know if it just comes back. No, I know it's I know there's something here. I don't need to talk to anyone about this. It's bizarre. It's totally bizarre. What everything you say makes total sense. And I think it's, I think what, so my, my, my friend Dave calls it like, we're, we're in the fog at the moment. We need to clear the fog, right? We need to, clear, we're wandering around. Like it was all so, it was a nice sunny day and now everything's just, okay, we need yeah. to, it's good. It's a, it's a good analogy because we need to lift the fog from this and realize the direction was actually north. And I know we're in the general area. Let's keep the hiking thing going. <laughs> we know we're in the right kind of national park. Like we know we've lost north. We don't know where north is. The fog's descended, and we need to do. We need to do what we can to get that cleared. And I know what you're saying, and what is what Dave was saying. We need to talk to the people, and we have been talking to people, but we've been talking to the wrong people. Exactly. And so it's only made the fog denser for us. We're like, oh. oh, oh. Because everyone you talk to has their own ideas, maybe their own feature requests, and they pull you in different directions, which is when interviewing people, when having conversations with people, these conversations are only useful if you've pre-selected these people to be of a certain type and having at least a certain hypothesis of a problem. Because if you talk to different people, a bunch of different people who may want what you have, then you just get pulled in a million directions and you never have. And that's what happened. Yeah, and that's what happened. And it's it, I, Maybe that's a topic for another day, really. It's a fascinating thing, the pros and cons of scratching your own itch. <laughs> it does. It starts off so clear and then... It's will. clear when you, it's just you and the ID, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Once you yeah. meet the real world, it's, wait, what, what's going on here? I was having like, a hell of a time build, everybody, building why, the <laughs> exactly. Why isn't everybody like so hyped, hyped up about this as I was? Like, why yeah. is it not just clicking? Yeah. And we, there are so many stories where it seems like someone scratched their itch and then went out to the market and it immediately took off and it just worked. 
And the problem is we only hear about the stories where it worked. We never hear about yeah. the stories where it didn't, which are probably a thousand times more prevalent than the ones where it did work. Yeah, I think that's become very obvious. I think that's why we made some drastic changes to just strip back everything. And I'm excited to get it to a place where I can at least just talk about it and actually have a link to it and people can play with it and whatever. But that doesn't, that isn't going to stop me from, I want to get to a place where I've not done any more than was necessary. It's just, it, I want to start talking to people and I don't want to hold off any longer of to not talk about it in some sort of form as well. And, and so I want to kind of balance that a little bit where I'm not just going off for another three months. Again, not actually having anyone playing with it at all. Just that seems really bad. And stripping it back, I think, was the best idea that's really helped clear the fog a little bit. And you talking about the newsletter thing? Yeah, that's really interesting. It makes a ton of sense and may even be what was in my head originally, yet wasn't clear at the time. Because it makes a lot of sense now when you talk about it like that. I'm like, huh, why didn't I think about that? So yeah, it feels, that feels good. That feels okay. really good. The last bit of advice I can give you here is just stop building. Just don't touch the code for a little while. Ah, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I've removed a lot of stuff, which is good. That's no, kind not, of even, not even that. Not <laughs> even that. Because the point right now is not to show people what you've built to get feedback. Mm. The point is to talk to people to understand their point of view on this. Mm. You don't talk about courses. You don't talk about any of that. You don't talk about what you've built. It's hard to not talk about these things. But as you said, you have the experience of interviewing people properly. And yeah, no. Yeah, right. And you don't and you don't talk about these things because you want to understand the person you are talking to in depth. Mm. Like my rule of thumb is like you listen for half an hour at the very least before yeah. you mention anything about your product. And by yeah. the time you get to a point you mention anything about your product or what you're even trying to resolve, you frame that in a way that matches what they've been talking about. Yeah. And then it still may not lend well, but at least it's a real attempt. Thank you for listening. If you want to be a guest on the show and talk through the problems you're facing with your business, you can send me a message on Twitter at Finer Ellie. My DMs are always open. And if you need something a bit deeper than a single conversation on the show, I do one-on-one -on -one consulting and we can talk about this too. See you next time.